Hi, I'm the producer of A Public Affair, Jade Isiri Ramos. If you enjoy the show, I hope you'll consider supporting the station. We take donations all year long at wortfm.org. Thanks. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. Good afternoon and welcome to A Public Affair. My name is Rochelle Wilson and I'll be your host this hour, joined by my co-pilot, Nate Carlin. Hi, Nate. Hello. This interview is pre-recorded, so we won't be able to take live calls today. You can let us know what you think by posting on the A Public Affair page on Facebook or on X, formerly known as Twitter, at WORT Talk. So a few years back, Nate and I would hop on the war airwaves for a movies and TV roundup at the end of December. That was always a really good time, wasn't it, Nate? It was great. So we decided to revive the tradition this year with a few tweaks. It's been such a big year for Hollywood and the film industry that we decided to set our sights on cinema only this time around. And more importantly, we're joined in the studio today by Rob Thomas, features editor for the Cap Times and author of the Not That Rob Thomas newsletter on Substack. Hi, Rob. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me here for your tradition. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you for making the time to talk movies with us. We're super excited to get going on this. So I wanted to just have you paint a picture for us. Looking back at 2023, what were some of your takeaways about movies this year? Well, it was sort of a crazy year. It felt like um, this was the year that like, theatrical movies finally came back with the uh, Barbie Oppenheimer, Barbenheimer phenomenon. Um, and it felt like the first full year of movies and theaters, all kinds of movies, people coming back, you know, sort of return to normal. But then there was also a director or a writer strike and an actor strike, which may affect 2024. So um, it's still, uh, I don't know, the, the movie experience is still a work in progress, I think, especially with all the streamers and everything that was happening there. Um, but I felt like really good about this year. Like I felt like there were a lot of great movies and people were coming out to see them, um, especially if they were sometimes original, unusual, challenging movies, which was great. Yeah, that's right. And I wanted to dig in a little bit to several of the topics you mentioned. And let's go ahead and start with Barbenheimer because it was kind of the film event of the year. A lot of folks went out to see Barbie and Oppenheimer sometimes in the same day. Nate and I actually went over to the Oriental Theater in Milwaukee and Barbenheimered there. Uh, Had a good time. So, A, Rob, did you Barbenheimer? And B, what were some of the takeaways that we're seeing from that big film extravaganza? Well, I didn't, I didn't do a hardcore Barbenheimer. I think I saw them the same weekend, like Friday for Barbie, Sunday for Oppenheimer. Maybe it was Thursday night for, for Barbie. Um, and it was fantastic. I mean, it was fantastic because it was so many people who you wouldn't, think of as moviegoers i said you know you sort of think moviegoers still kind of skew older but like barbie was just like that was just such an event and even like weeks later the, the you know it'd just be a sea of pink in the theater and um it was you know i'm, I'm really i haven't done my top 10 list yet but i'm thinking about you know doing a barbie oppenheimer tie for number one because i feel like together and i and when i interviewed people i did a feature about uh, the phenomenon, you know, it really was kind of two sides of the same movie coin. Like, you know, Oppenheimer's a very sort of male movie, like a lot of lot of dudes. Uh, Barbie, a very female comedy drama, light dark. Um, Oppenheimer, I think, is a very towering movie achievement. Um, you know, sort of a big thing. Well, whereas Barbie was a great theatrical experience. Like, you, it was just so great to see that with a group of people who were riding the highs and lows of the emotion. So it was like everything you want from the theatrical experience and like two movies back to back opening the same day is like crazy, but it like underscores like, you know, movie theaters I think are still here to stay, even though it's easier to stay at home. That's right. Yeah. Just to follow up on that, do you think that's going to be something that the industry can try to replicate moving forward? Are there going to be like coordinated release dates or is it kind of bottled lightning to have two big movies on the same weekend. Well, it was funny because I think they were really worried about that, having two big movies on the same day. And I think Greta Gerwig, the director of Barbie, even said, a producer Oppenheimer said, you got to move your date because you're going to get crushed by Oppenheimer. Um, It's hard to say because 
you know, how many movies are coming out versus, you know, I, I don't think you can replicate something like that where two movies are going to kind of work together like that. Um, you know, usually there's going to be winners and losers on a, a given week. It was just a really uh, special thing. And, you know, I, I hope it continues. I hope, you know, instead of having one big movie every week, we have, you know, we get back to where it's like there's two or three and then there's an indie movie and then there's sort of a mid-level drama, you know, and like get back to the days where there was a real nice sort of buffet of choices at the theater rather than just the biggest movies possible. Hollywood loves like capitalizing on previous success, though. I don't know if you heard about when the new Taylor Swift um, sort of uh, concert film was released. It was sort of going to be released at the same time as the new Exorcism, if I'm getting that right. And right. there was like a push for like, let's have a Swifter-cism. And, there, and I think it was actually the Exorcist producers that were like, nah. <laughs> <Let's>, <laughs> I don't know. Not. Those go together. Yeah, I've heard there's a... A Wonka man, Wonka and Aquaman at the okay. same time. You know, maybe getting a little sweaty trying to stretch to make those connect. Get those branded yeah. <laughs> co-releases. Yeah, right. that's right. So you also mentioned the uh, the labor strikes in Hollywood and sort of there's going to be a long tail for the viewer as to what those effects might be. Can you go over a little bit what happened and then what customers can expect? Well, it's hard to say. I know because some things were just delayed because the actors couldn't promote the movies like dune the second part of the dune movies which i'm really excited about was moved from november to march um but just given the there was like a five-month window where i think the writers were on strike and the actors were on strike and so while that didn't affect the fall that's going to probably affect um spring and summer um so you know we'll see i i think both the writers and the actors were, were pretty happy with how those turned out that they all the, the union stuck to their guns against, um, uh, you know, the, the studios who were trying to, you know, kind of lowball them. And I know there was talk about using AI both in writing and in, in, and in uh, acting. And so hopefully long term, the the result is better movies and better TV shows because you're paying people what they're worth. And, you know you're treating it a little less as content and a little more as like art, which you, you should. So um, I think there might be some short-term pain in the early part of 2024, but hopefully for the long-term health of the industry, it's a good thing. Yeah, it was really fun to see actually Hollywood joining the the hot labor summer, as some <laughs> folks are calling it, because it I think it brought maybe additional visibility to how in some of these creative industries where you may not think of the labor that goes into it, or you may think it's a really cushy job to be working in Hollywood, but actually they still have their own labor struggles. Right. And, you know, you may see John Hamm or Brian Cranston on the, the picket line and think, well, this guy ran a successful show. What is, you know, but there's so many people, you know, so many actors, so many writers who have been affected by these these giant shifts in the business in the last, I think, really five years, even certainly 10 years. And, you know, you, you can't make a middle class living and doing that anymore almost. So um, and I think it was great that the public seemed to understand that and respond and not be like, um, oh, these, you know, these pampered actors or whatever. Um, and I think part of it did help was it was part of a larger uh, hot labor summer, as you said, <laughs> where people, you know, unions were on the rise and, and people were understanding these larger issues that uh, Hollywood was not immune to. Absolutely. Mm. If you're just joining us, you're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. My name is Rochelle Wilson, and today I'm joined by co-host Nate Carlin and our guest Rob Thomas, features editor at the Cap Times. We are doing a roundtable looking at some of the highlights of the year in film. And since today's show is pre-recorded, we can't take live calls, but you can let us know your favorite movies of the year by emailing talk at wortfm.org, posting on the A Public Affair Facebook page, or tweeting at WORT Talk on X. So speaking of favorite movies, Rob, what stood out to you this year when you're you, you said you're kind of making that list for your for your Substack piece? What is making the short list for you? Well, it's, you know, I, some people do their top 10 list in November. I don't do that. I try and take it, I take it right down the wire. So there's still a couple more I want to see. I just saw uh, Alexander Payne's The Holdovers last week in theaters. I think that's going to make my top 10. That was a really, really good movie. Um, 
you know, I really liked uh, Into the Spider-Verse, the second Spider-Man, um, <clears throat> showing that superhero movies are not dead, even though some of them are sort of on life support. If you do them well with a lot of energy and creativity, they can still be um, as great as ever. Um, let's see. One I saw, actually a couple I saw at the Wisconsin Film Festival will be on my top 10 list. One is um, Kelly Reichard showing up, starring Michelle Williams as this kind of struggling artist. Um, and it's sort of a comedy drama, very closely observed character study like Kelly Reichard, who did um, Old Joy and Certain Women, is, is so good at. Um, and that was one, uh, it was really fun to see that uh, in a packed theater at the film festival because that's a movie where there are a lot of little things you notice. And if you're like, you know, just by yourself in the theater or watching at home, you might sleep by, but you could sort of feel the audience pick up on these little moments of humor or whatever. So that was a really fun thing. <clears throat> and the other one I saw at the film festival was uh, the sort of crazy, uh, uh, I guess it would call a romantic thriller called Sanctuary with uh, Margaret Qualley and uh, Christopher Abbott. He plays a, it's like a, basically a two character movie where like he's this executive, she's this dominatrix who he, he's hired to kind of humiliate him. And it's just this shifting power struggle through the whole movie. There's really no sex in the movie. It's all about language and sort of, and who's in control. That was a really fun movie to watch with the theater. So that's probably going to make my top 10 list as well. You said you saw that at a film fest. Do you know where um, everyday non-film critics can go watch it? Um, let me think. I think, I mean, they're probably on streaming somewhere. You could probably rent them on Amazon or Apple iTunes or something like that for sure by now. Um, that is one of the hard things now is like something goes on streaming. You're like, which of the 10 streaming sites is it on? And I, you know, and, and you want to see something, but it takes so long to track it down. Yeah, it's a full-time research job, basically. Yep. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Going on that, I I am curious since you do both TV and movies, uh, where do you see the streaming as a medium? Is it kind of like just the mix of those two, and you, the TV and movies aren't separate, or are TV and movies still like separate art forms in in your mind? I think they're very separate, and I you know definitely when I talk to people. I think streaming still lends itself more to TV. When people talk about things that are on streaming, it's TV shows and not movies so much. Movies can kind of, I find, disappear, you know, in your queue. Um, and you think like, well, I don't have two hours to watch this, but I got, I could probably get through the first episode of this, you know, The Bear or, or something like that. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm a little uneasy because even though there are some big, uh, Netflix movies coming like Maestro and Todd Haynes May, May December. Um, I don't, I just don't think they have the impact as if when they're not in theater. So I, I still think of streaming as a television medium first and foremost. Yeah, I find we, we watch movies both in theaters and streaming, and we watched May December last weekend. And I actually like have trouble remembering when I watched a movie if I watched it streaming. Right. Where it's much easier to remember when I saw a movie in theater. Right. right. It's a lot less of an event. And I think in, that's some people think of that as a pro. It's like they like the idea of like, let me be in my pajamas and just pick up the remote and have my own snacks. But I personally really love when a movie is connected to that experience of meeting up with friends, going out in public, having the concessions. Like, that's just, maybe that's just me, but I really enjoy that. No, I totally agree. And um, also, there's just so many distractions at home. I have to deliberately leave my phone somewhere else in, in the house when I'm watching, uh, you know, TV. I mean, David Fincher's The Killer, which might also make my top 10, came out on Netflix. And, like, I sat down and I watched it you know, opening weekend, start to finish, which is a rarity in streaming for me, you know, like to give a movie that much attention at home anymore is a rarity because there's so much else, you know, first of all, on Netflix, you know, it's hard, it's hard. To, I hear people and I have the same thing where it's like, if you don't know what you're going to watch, you just sort of click and float and look and maybe, and then maybe later and, you know, and then you end up kind of watching nothing. Um, so uh, yeah, again, like, yeah, there's just nothing like, like I, like you say, like I remember those film festival experiences very clearly. I remember Barbie and Oppenheimer very clearly. I remember going to Holdovers last weekend very clearly. Um, a couple other things that's like, I know I saw it. I know I saw it, but I, you know, the, but I can't actually remember 
what, like what was happening when I saw it or who I saw it with. Yeah. Well, and speaking of that live going to the movie theater experience here in Madison, the choices narrowed pretty significantly last year with the closure of AMC six. And also what was the other kind of budget theater that closed out on the West side? Market Square. Yeah, the Market Square. So, you know, now a year under our belt, no more AMC 6 at Hildale, no more Market Square on the west side. What are Madisonians doing when it comes to going to the movie theater? Do you have a local favorite, Rob? Or, Well, I mean, it's, it's a little strange because we really don't have a movie theater in Madison. I mean, we, you know, if you go to the far west or the far east or south to Fitchburg, that's where the theaters are. But as far as a commercial movie theater, Madison, which I think of as having such a great film culture, uh, doesn't have one anymore. And that was that was one of the weird experiences because, as people might know, you know the AMC closed in last December, but the film festival reopened it for like eight days. And I remember going there thinking this might be really depressing because it's like oh, it's sort of like a ghost theater. But it was great. They spruced it up. They cleaned it up. It was a working theater, and it was like. Why isn't this theater still running? This is a great theater. It's a great location. And people are coming to see movies here. Um, you know, it's just decisions beyond, you know, the health of the movie going culture, I guess. Um, I would say that the two things, I do really like going to uh, Flick's Brewhouse, which is at Easttown Mall. If people know Alamo Draft House. It's sort of a similar vibe to that, except they make their own beer there. They make good beer. Um they have mostly commercial films, sort of the ones that are playing in the multiplexes, but they seem to be leaning more into playing older uh, movies. They had, I mean, they had basically a different Christmas movie every day in December. I saw they're doing a big sci-fi uh, series in January with like Interstellar and all kinds of things. So I think they're finding some success with like distinguish themselves by saying like, this is a great movie. You want to come out and see this in the theater, even though you could probably watch it on Netflix. Um, and then the other one I would say is uh, the UW Cinematheque program, which is at Vilas Hall downtown, free. And I think uh, the programmers there have really uh, succeeded in kind of shifting it a little bit so that it's still um, it's still playing, you know, independent films, foreign films, classic films. Uh, but they're also kind of having, I say, more like crowd pleasers. Like they had a Jackie Chan series. They played... Um, uh, like a 35 millimeter print of aliens. And um, they're really seeing an uptick in audience, I think, because they have this, all these people downtown, especially students who want to go out to the movies for all the reasons we just discussed. And they don't want to drive out to Sun Prairie or Fitchburg, you know, to do it. So um, I, I definitely encourage people to check those two things out. Yeah, I my only wish, well, I wish Cinematech could have those reclining seats. I want, <laughs> I want that glamorous seat experience, but also like all I want for Christmas is a downtown theater yes. in Madison. I just like that's on my wish list every year and I wonder who's going to take it up. I know. If I won the lottery, absolutely. I'd find a spot <laughs> and I'd open it and, you know, and and throw caution to the wind. It just seems like especially when, like I said when you went to Hilldale for the film festival. You saw all those people in this great theater. It's like, how can we not do this? How can we, you know, with with all the stuff we have downtown, all all the development, we can't we can't have one like nice three screen or six screen theater. Um, the Cinematheque, like for me, it's not being able to bring food or drink it. That that <laughs> I never want popcorn more than when I'm sitting in Cinematheque and not able to have it. You know. I hope the programmers are listening. Well, you know, hot tips. They don't want to clean the seats, which I understand. But, you know, even if I smuggle in like a hard candy, I'm like, I feel like I'm transgressing somehow. That's yeah. old school movie culture, right. though. At least when I was a teen, you weren't supposed to bring your own concessions. Right. So you'd like raid the, I don't know, you'd raid the grocery store or the gas station beforehand and kind of like put it in your purse and hope that no one noticed. Your bulky coat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Yeah. So uh, you kind of mentioned the holdovers as... Um, a, a film you really enjoyed this year, and I, I was reminded this year that the the season, holiday season, is very associated with movies and and has a very specific movie vibe that I feel like Holdovers really nails. How, how do you feel about the association of of movies and the holidays? Well, I think it's it uh, you know it's a time when it, apparently it is actually 
the busiest time at movie theaters. You would think it was the summer, but I guess the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas is the busiest time at movie theaters. Um, you know, there's, there are certain movies that like, you just sort of have to watch at Christmas, like whether it's Die Hard or Elf for me, it's, it's, um, it's a wonderful life. I've seen that every, you know, every year I'm wrapping presents and watching that movie and, and getting new things about out of it every time. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, I think kind of like, uh, what you said, like for, for the home experience, like there's something about you watch movies with your family and that becomes a tradition. And so you do remember that and watch that same movie or something similar later. So, and also it's cold out, so it's a great time to stay inside and, and, uh, put your Christmas jammies on and watch two or three movies in a row. Yeah, I was just reminded, I think it's the 20th anniversary of uh, Fellowship of the Ring coming out, which in my youth was like a, a big to-do every December. And then came Harry Potter, too. And I, I feel like December for a while was the big franchise blockbuster month. And family. Family-friendly yeah. ones, yeah. right? There's Where always you can a take Dis- everyone. Yeah, there's always a Disney one. There's those franchises. Usually, I think Bond movies were usually in huh. the fall or December. Um you know, I'm trying to think if there's anything really, I mean, there's Aquaman. I, I mean, Wonka might end up being the one that's sort of the... Migration? The, the, the Oh, that's one. right. Yeah, that that one too. Um, Disney has Wish, which I don't think is done very well. Um, but yeah, and I think, I know going on a Christmas day is a real tradition with a lot of families. You sort of open the presents and then you go out to see a movie together. Um so if you, although sometimes like the movie that is playing is like, is that, is that the movie you really want uh, the family going out to see on, on Christmas day? Do you want, you know, I try to think what the one Saw. is. Saw. Saw, right. <laughs> Saw or, uh, yeah. Or I mean, Ferrari, I guess I would go see that, but I don't know if the whole family would really enjoy that. Um, but, uh, maybe, maybe it's a thing where y'all meet in the lobby and everybody just scatters to their own <laughs> niche movie until it's over. Well, I think it's the time for musicals to shine. You know, that seems like that's a thing. I remember there was the Christmas that Into the Woods came out, the film adaptation. That was what my family went and saw. And same with Les Mis when the film adaptation of Les Mis came out. Maybe that was like just a moment with musicals on screen. No, I think you're right because the the Color Purple musical is opening Christmas Day. Um, And Wonka is a musical, although they don't. They don't telegraph that at all in the trailer for some strange reason. Yeah, I didn't actually know that. (laughs) No, which is strange because... Like it used to be like 20 years ago, they would hide the fact that it was a musical because they thought it would turn people off. But like you say, there have been so many successful musicals that like you think that would be a selling point. Um, but I think that's true. That And the musicals, I think, uh, are, are something that multiple generations enjoy together. So that makes a good idea for a Christmas movie. Well, speaking of Wonka, I think it's been, that's been a pretty divisive one. Have you actually gone to see it? I have not. I've heard it's better than it looked, which is not hard. <laughs> <laughs> not hard to do. Yeah. Well, just in general, it seems like it's kind of part of that whole nostalgia machine of just kind of like rebooting these stories like over and over again, doing a prequel, doing a sequel. Where do you think we stand on that? Are people finally tiring of it or is that train just keep on rolling? Well, I think, you know, that comes from... I think two things like fear on the part of the studios and then they kind of look in their closet at the intellectual properties they, they have and like, well, how do we, we got to keep this going, you know? Um, but the, but then the funny thing is like, you know, some great movies can come out of that. Like I thought the blade runner of a couple of years ago was great. I thought it was beautiful and really well done. Um, you know, I mean, Barbie, who, who thought that movie would be that good? Like a movie about a doll, and of course, you know, the studios are taking the exactly the wrong lessons from that and saying, okay, we're going to make a Hungry Hungry Hippos movie or like oh, no. a, an Uno <laughs> movie or something like that. It's like, no, you just make a good movie. That's the bottom line. It's not like people are crazy about, you know, old toys. It's like, just just make a good movie and, and people will come. Um, so I think it will still keep going. Um, there's the Indiana Jones movie over the summer, which is got to be the last one of those at least until they hire a new indiana jones who's like 30 um you know and of course on television star wars just keeps going on and on and on and um and then we haven't even talked about marvel which is uh, another one where um they just keep making them so uh, i think i think there's too much fear in hollywood to stop trying to uh you know piggyback on something that worked well in the past 
If you're just joining us, you're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. My name is Rochelle, and I'm your host today, along with co-host Nate Carlin. And we're talking to Rob Thomas, film critic at the Cap Times, about the year in movies. This is a pre-recorded interview, so if you want to join the conversation about all things cinema, we love to hear from you on the A Public Affair page on Facebook or on Twitter slash X at WORT Talk. You can also email talk at WORTFM.org. Now, you mentioned Marvel, and I don't want to leave that on the table. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, five <clears throat> years ago, when you look back, there was just Disney and Marvel crushing at the box office and this year it seems like there's been maybe a little bit of a slowdown on that i know marvel's slowing down their schedule uh wished did maybe didn't do as well as disney might hope uh do you see this as just sort of a a speed bump for the mouse or a a little bit of a a sea change that's a a good question i mean there's there's no there's no doubt that there's some fatigue setting in um especially with marvel um just because they had uh, so many TV shows and so many movies, and I think <clears throat> I think they underestimated. Um, uh, when did Endgame come out? Was 2019, 2018? Yeah, Pre-pandemic, that was the big I think. Year, yeah. I think they underestimated like how that would be a stopping point and it would be hard to kind of keep going um, with sort of you know I guess I would say second tier. Uh, characters, although, you know, I liked the second Doctor Strange that Sam Raimi directed. Um, I liked the third Guardians of the Galaxy. <clears throat> um, but then they started sort of doing some big whiffs, like the, the there was like a fourth Thor movie that was really bad, and um, the Elementals, and, or the Eternals. Eternals yeah. Yes, and it just like, you know, it was just no longer a sure thing. Like, I saw that with my my younger stepson, 16, and it, be, it went from like, I have to see every single Marvel thing that comes out to well i'll get to it you know i'll watch them all but not opening weekend to oh is there another marvel thing i didn't really (laughs) i didn't really know so you know i think what they should have done and what they should do is just and i don't don't think they will do for all the reasons we talked about about keeping content coming out they need to just stop and take a break which they're kind of doing with the star wars movies i think there hasn't been they, they had a bunch of projects that they kind of have tabled uh in the movies stop take a break allow people a chance to breathe, you know, allow a chance for demand to build up and then come back to it. Cause I think people just don't, you know, they don't want to like have to do homework and have to have seen the three previous TV shows to understand what's going on in the Marvels. Um, and so it just, it's just that fatigue sets in, I think. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I think, like I said, you know, the, the latest Spider-Man was, uh, really good. Um, I mean, even like there's an animated Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie this summer. It was great. It was really fun. And so, you know, you you can't count these um, sort of these uh, old standbys out. But you really do need to have, you know, uh, make good films with them. And, you know, you can't just sort of shovel them out and hope that, you know, people will just, you know, lap them up. Both of the ones you just mentioned across the Spider-Verse and the new TMNT film are animated and had unique animation styles. I mean, do you think that that's making waves in the industry? I think that it is. I think that is a a great development. And I I would probably credit the first Spider-Verse movie with that is that like there's a more I think before that there was sort of a model for animated movies, CGI ones like, you know, set by Pixar, especially and all the other animation studios seem to follow it. Um, now there's a sense of like, oh, we can get more artistic. Like uh, Spider-Verse has a lot of different animation styles kind of colliding, which is, you know, so fun to watch. Uh, the TM- TMNT, I wrote in my review, is like, it looked like it was inspired by the scribbles in my middle school <laughs> notebook. All that, you know, it was very, uh, just really fun that way. I mean, even like... Uh, the second Puss in Boots movie that came out last December. That it was, was good. It was <laughs> it was really good. Like, way, like honestly, I would say better than any Shrek movie, which is, I know is blasphemy. <laughs> uh, get me banned from Shrek Fest for life for saying that. Um, but it had a really distinct and fun visual style to it. And so I think that's really great when they're rethinking animation down to like, well, what is this going to look like? And like, what's the best kind of, you know, 
uh, visual style that will tell the story. So that that's really encouraging. Yeah. And sort of that uh, industry trend category there, I see a lot of the discourse kind of swimming around the, the fall of the mid-budget movie. People nostalgic for the 90s and 2000s with Shawshank Redemption and, and that genre. Where do you see the the future for mid-budgetness in, in the Hollywood system. Well, when I saw, did you guys see the holdovers? Yes. We okay. did. And actually, I would say I liked it a lot. Like, for me, it's like a top five, top three even. And I think for me. a little softer on it, I think. Yeah. yeah. But I absolutely, I read um, Alexander Payne, the director, at one of these film festivals. You know, he was talking about basically how he's trying to be a part of the movement to kind of bring back the adult drama that isn't part of a franchise. It's quiet. It doesn't have the explosions. And I got to say, I'm a fan. And especially when there's such a good story, such a good soundtrack, I was really taken by it. I was a little, yeah. And I was a little surprised, honestly, because I think I had been thinking like, well, this will be a little underwhelming, like a quiet little film. And I was like, so wrapped up in it and, and, and just loving like, you know, like you say, like 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 mid budget. I mean, you know, mid is sort of a term now for not that good and uh, you know, uh, young young slang. But like like there's so much uh, you can do with that. I, I was a little in that film. They sort of um, you know he kind of leans into it being the 1970s, and there's even like a, a 1970s style Focus Features logo, which I I thought was cute, but also it made me a little sad because it's like, oh, is this is this saying this is a genre that sort of their time has passed, you know, and it doesn't really fit into 2023. Cause, cause I agree. Like, I think, um, I think mid budget dramas, um, they can be sometimes the most satisfying when you, when they're really well done like that. And you see them in the theater, a lot of them are being, uh, snapped up by streaming. Um, but, um, I, I what I would love to see is, you know, if a streamer is going to have a film like that, that they give it a chance in theaters, like even for a few weeks, just to sort of uh, let people have let people have the choice of like seeing it in a, a movie theater or at home, because I think those kind of films, like you say, can be really satisfying experiences in the theater. And the other thing I was really happy to see this summer, particularly, was kind of the return of the mid-budget comedy, like R-rated comedies, like. Um, Bottoms if you, is so funny, just so funny. That might make my top ten list. And um, no hard feelings, the one with Jennifer Lawrence, which was a movie like I just went to because the movie I I'd missed the 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 time to see the other one, and it was great. It's a really funny, uh, sweet and adult comedy. Um, so it was really nice to see that those seem to be coming back as well. Yeah, we loved Bottoms. I mean, and I think something that unites um, a lot of the movies we're talking about, especially the ones that are more comedies and um, animation and action, is like not taking themselves too seriously. It's like they understand that they're a film. And I just appreciate that, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's different tones for... I don't think I want Killers of the Flower Moon not to take itself too seriously. <laughs> you know, but, you Touché. Know, right. But yeah, I mean, I think... Um, <clears throat> You know, I think there's there was a pressure to have every movie be an event. And when a movie can be just a movie, you know, that's that that can be the best thing of all. Yeah. Speaking of Killers of the Flower Moon, I actually haven't seen it. And part of the reason I haven't seen it, probably the biggest reason is the runtime. I mean, it's over three hours, if I'm not mistaken. And man, these movies just keep dragging on and on and on. I need an intermission if we're going to be in the theater for more than three hours. Do you think that that trend is going to continue or have people basically had enough? Oh, I think it's going to continue. I mean, I think... No, uh, Rob, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not going to tell Martin Scorsese to chop it down to an hour 45. Um, I We had the same uh, reaction. Uh, we didn't see it for my wife and I for over a month until we had a, you know, a Sunday afternoon free. Um, I had the chance to see it, uh, um, I, uh, like a Thursday night starting at seven. I was like, there's no way I can start a, a, a three and a half hour movie at 7 PM on a, on a weeknight, you know, um, the days of the midnight movies for me are gone. Um, but, um, you know, it, it was a very, I mean, it's a great movie and a very satisfying experience, but you really had to budget the time for it. Um, and um, I just think, you know, there's there's that certain kind of prestige film 
I mean, Oppenheimer is a pretty long film, although it, it moves a lot faster than Killers of the Flare Moon. Um, that that will attract people. Like, I mean, you know, it's like you're going to the movies, you make the time, you're free, you want to be immersed in it. Like, I, I remember seeing The Irishman, the previous Scorsese movie theaters. I think that was like four hours. It was a great experience. Like, I was just totally immersed in it. So, um, you know, I think Roger Ebert said no, no good movies too long, no bad movies too short. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, sort of building off that, we've talked about Scorsese, Greta Gerwig, Christopher Nolan. What, where, where do you see the the future of directors as sort of their own draw? Is there still room for the auteur in public culture, or is it sort of people don't even notice who who the directors are when they boot up well, Barbie? I mean, I mean, I think in Barbie's case, they definitely did because Greta Gerwig had already kind of made her name with little women and, and, um, and, um, lady bird, which one lady bird, lady bird. Yeah. I was going to say Francis Hopper. She, she, I think she just acted and co-wrote that. Um, um, and so, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, there have always been journeyman directors, you know, I mean, I don't know. And so I think, um, I think Nolan and, and Gerwig, and a few others are kind of in a class by themselves. I mean, David Fincher is another one I think that people will sit up if he's making a movie. Um, but I think it's tough for younger filmmakers because often the first thing they do after having like an indie hit or is they go make a Marvel movie, they go make a Star Wars movie, or they go make a TV show. And so it's hard for them to build the kind of career that you know, is sustainable that you're like, Oh, this is a, this is a Christopher Nolan film. I'm no, I kind of know what this is going to be going into it. Even though the subject matter is different, even though Batman's not in this one. Right. Um, <laughs> and so it's, it, you don't have that consistency as much, I think. So I think it'll be harder. Um, but there are always these filmmakers. I think that, especially for people who just sort of pay attention to these things, uh, they'll, they'll sort of keep coming back to you. Like, very strangely, Bradley Cooper might be one of those filmmakers because he's made two films that are, I think, great and really distinctive. And, you know, if he wanted to, I mean, he could be kind of one of those filmmakers as well. Well, and I think people love a, a cult of personality and they love when someone has a really strong, defined style and who immediately comes to mind is Wes Anderson, right. who had a new film yeah. out this year, Asteroid City. What are your thoughts on that? So... I loved it. And I, and I, you know, I had this experience with the French dispatch too, where before I'm going into it, I was like, okay, well, this is going to be more of the same. I know what this is going to be. Am I going to be a little tired of this at this point? Because I've seen, I've seen this exact same style in so many movies. And then I'm so enchanted. Like he's really deepening that style and doing really interesting things with it. Um, like asteroid city. I mean, in the trailers, you see all the stuff in the desert, but there's that whole other black and white sort of meta story going around it. I mean, he's, he, I think in that sense, he's really pushing himself. So, um, like I don't want Wes Anderson to make, <clears throat> you know, the new lethal weapon reboot or something like that. <laughs> like I hear people say like, well, he needs to do something different. And it's like, no, I mean, he's figured out his thing and he's figured out a way to do it without repeating himself. And, in his own way, kind of deepening it. So I, you know, I say, I say, keep going. Although, you know, again, we talk, go back to the streamers. Like he had four short films on Netflix, which I still haven't watched. Oh, that's right. It just completely blew by me. And I think a lot of people, and it's like, that should be an event that he's making these short films. And, um, very they, well reviewed. And we, we watched the first one and it was quite good, but yeah, it just sort of, you never have that excuse to watch the next one. There you it's, go. It's the yeah. streaming problem. That's the biggest thing is like, you know, it's always going to be there. Like mm -hmm. if it's in the theaters, you're like, well, I better go see it. Cause it might be gone next week. If I want the theatrical experience of seeing it. Whereas Netflix, it's like, you think like, well, that's always going to be in the, you know, in the pot. And so I can, I can get it whenever I want it. And so you just don't feel that impetus to watch it right then. And then they do take things away and you're like, ah, darn it. I <laughs> thought this was forever. Yeah. Well, and I have kind of a conspiracy theory about Netflix. Like, I feel like they, I don't know why, but they seem to set things up to fail. It's like they have sometimes these total home runs of TV series and movies that they just don't do a lot of advertising for. I don't know what their deal is. Yeah, it's almost like I think they just want a lot of stuff sometimes and they don't, you know, with a few exceptions, 
they don't i mean i think that's part of it is that they have so much stuff they can't promote all of it equally and they haven't figured out a way to say like you know rob would like this other than so i'm really gonna focus on you know this um and the other thing i think is like with their tv shows they cut they cancel them real early i think like they i've heard that like the their contracts the third season is when they really start after paying more so a lot of times you'll see them get canceled after the second season for that reason um <clears throat> so it's kind of hard to like really get invested in a show because you just never know whether it's going to continue mm. and they're so cagey with their viewer numbers both for us and for the the i've heard for the people that work on the on the films that i think that there's some yeah they, they, they flatten their content so that it does it doesn't even they don't even know when it's something's a big hit except that they kind of have their top 10 right thing so. don't, yeah that's true i think they just released for the first time their viewership numbers but that's true that they don't even tell the filmmakers like how well they're doing and so it's like they think they're doing well until they get canceled so um it's it's a very mysterious process and i think one of the um effects of the strikes being settled is there's gonna be a little more openness i think about what actually is going on there and and uh <clears throat> who's getting paid and what's what's doing well and you know so if you're just joining us you're listening to a public affair on wort 89.9 fm madison my name is rochelle wilson and today i'm joined by co-host nate carlin and our guest rob thomas features editor at the cap times and author of the newsletter not that rob thomas um and we're just looking at the year in film we're kvetching about streaming and for me run times if you would like to join the conversation we are not taking calls today because it's pre-recorded but we would love to hear from you nonetheless you can email us at talk at wortfm.org post on the a public affair facebook page or tweet us at wort talk on x so a film that I know is making, I think, both mine and Nate's top five is Past Lives. Um, and that's an international film. And I think, I guess I wanted to just take a minute to shout out these international films. And I think there's more of an appetite for them. People are maybe getting used to watching those subtitles after Parasite kind of swept the Oscars a couple years ago. What's your take on all that? I think it's great. I have not seen Past Lives. That's one of the ones I want to see before I make my list. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So. That's a that's a top fiver for you guys. Oh yeah, <laughs> I think you'll really enjoy it. And it's it's not necessarily what we were talking about with the kind of Alexander Payne um, adult drama per se, but it is kind of I, I don't know. It's like it, it's it feels like an old school romance in a way, not a rom com, but like a real romance where there's real I don't know just feelings and pathos. Yeah, I actually think I'd come with that. It, it feels of its of the time, like of now, very viscerally for me, and also like uh, almost an anti-romance, like a deeply felt emotional journey that isn't uh, about romantic love. <laughs> True. I mean, I yeah, I, Rob. I guess you're gonna have to see it and settle the score. <laughs> who's right and who's wrong? I mean, yeah, that that's not. the important yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it looks amazing. I don't quite even know why I missed it, but. Um, um, I'm really excited to see it. Um, Do you have a favorite uh, foreign film or non-American film from this year? I mean, I guess say the boy in the hair and the speaking of animation, the the Miyazaki, um, which is just such a marvel. Like I, I sort of um, have you guys seen it? No, it's but great. tell us why we should. It's great. I mean, it's like I sort of thought it would be like sort of a coda to his career because we weren't. Even, he he pretty much announced he was retiring. This is the legendary Japanese animator behind Studio Ghibli, Ghibli. and um, and then decided to make this movie. Um, and I thought it, this would be kind of a coda, uh, but it really is one of his kind of deepest and weirdest movies in the vein of like Spirited Away or uh, Princess Mononoke, kind of very adult, I think, in some, in some ways. Um, a lot of uh, dream logic and, and um, I think there's some themes about him reckoning with his legacy. And, and um, so it's really a great film. And, um, it's uh, available, I think, in both dubbed and subtitled versions, and both are doing really well. And then uh, this is the most recent uh, subtitle film I've seen. Um, but like the new Godzilla movie is really, <laughs> really good. Like I've, I've heard that it is seriously a great movie. Like um, it is Godzilla minus one. It takes place just after the end of the 
Second World War, and kind of like the way the original Godzilla used like the, the threat of nuclear war as kind of the metaphor. Like here, it's kind of like Godzilla as a metaphor for like post-war trauma in a way, like like a country's post-war trauma. Um, and it's like really well done. And like, it does, believe me, it does not skip on the city stomping <laughs> at all. <laughs> but it has these other quieter themes to it. And like, like I saw that at Flix and like, it was a really satisfying experience. And so, um, you know, it's not past lives, but, it, but in terms of emotional depth necessarily, <laughs> but like, it, it does give this, like, I, I'm, I'm excited that like people will go see subtitled blockbusters like that, as well as subtitled art films. Like, I think that, I think that barriers pretty pretty much been erased by most moviegoers that they will go see a subtitle movie and not give another thought yeah i think that's really awesome and since we're talking about miyazaki i think flix is doing a miyazaki month in february so if people want to look out and watch some of those old classics at a local madison theater um i just wanted to kind of throw that out there i think it'll be a really fun experience yeah um, and I'm also thinking of, you know, speaking of these kind of superstar auteur directors that everyone's following, there is um, a, a studio or like a distributor that has emerged as really popular, A24. Right. I literally, my barista who served me like a couple weeks ago had an A24 hat on and we were able to kind of bond <laughs> over it like, oh, you you like A24. And we just saw their most recent release, Dream Scenario with Nicolas Cage, which Totally recommend. I yes. think that it's an awesome movie. Yes, that's a great one. It's uh, uh, if people haven't seen it, it's it's Nicolas Cage playing a very different Nicolas Cage role. Like he's mm-hmm. sort of a nerdy kind of um, I don't kind of passive aggressive middle aged guy who uh, ends up popping up in other people's dreams, sort of as like a like in cameo roles, um, kind of a being John Malkovich vibe, but but very different. Um, and that is, it is funny cause there's like a, like there's a 24, there's like an a 24 horror sort of sub brand that I think when people say that you, they know right away what you're talking about, kind of, I guess, elevated horror, although people, some people don't like that word, uh, <laughs> elevated. Um, and, uh, I think it's great. Like, I think it's great that like, I mean, I think past lives was a 24, wasn't it? Or am I, I wouldn't be surprised uh, at yeah, all. Yeah. That's uh, look up. I, I, if that's, if that gets people. You know, if people identify with it with a, with a studio like that and will go see the movies, that's great. You know, like um, especially as a lot of those indie distributors like sort of got swallowed up by like the studios. Like Fox Searchlight is now just you know part basically part of Fox and or part which is now part of Disney. Um, <laughs> and so it's really great when an, when an indie distributor could have that kind of cachet and and uh, you know have merch <laughs> so it's wild yeah a24 is kind of unique to me because it almost has its own visual language like it, it i don't know if they have filters that they use or something that it gives it that that it's just that drama look i don't right. know yeah I, there's there's something about it that ties them all together and it, um it, even though it could be horror or like you know past lives i think you just kind of know like oh this this is gonna this is gonna be an interesting experience um you know i mean i like IFC films is one where if I, if it's one of those, I'm like, I'm interested in that. Um, and uh, sort of another, I guess this is indie, uh, getting back to horror is Bloomhouse, I think is one where, uh, they make low budget, but very smart and fun horror movies that I think horror movie fans have that sort of, it's like their A24 where they sort of seek those out. Um, so that's great, especially when, you know, the studios are getting larger and being part of these big conglomerates that these, you know, hopefully these little ones can still, can still keep their heads above water. Well, we don't have a lot of time left, but I did want to hit on what are you looking forward to in 2024? Is there stuff that's caught your attention uh, in the new year? Um, let's see. The I think the Dune movie for sure. That was when I saw the first part in IMAX, and that was a fantastic experience. Um, let me think what else is coming. I saw a bunch of trailers for new things. Um Kind of blanket, yeah. I think one thing that happens to me a lot is that I hear the critics' choices in December, and a lot of times they've been able to see screeners or go to the festivals, right. but those movies have not come to theaters for everyday people such as myself. And so January and February becomes this time of like kind of catch up, right, before yeah. the big award season. 
Yeah, there's one America called American Fiction, which mm-hmm. uh, I've right. seen. This, this is, a, a, I think, cool thing. AMC in Fitchburg does this thing called Scene Unseen, where they show a sneak preview of a movie, but they don't tell you what the movie's going to be until it's like it starts. Like huh. even like the managers of the theater say they don't know what it is. They say just they have a blank USB drive and they stick it in. And so that was the film. Is that bizarre? But it's really fun. That's like, wild. Yeah. And like it's starting to catch on because it's like that's a, a very interesting theater experience where like I don't know what I'm going to see, but it's cost five bucks and let's go see it. And um, that's American Fiction is a really good movie with uh, Jeffrey Wright, sort of a satire, um, but also a family drama at the same time. So that's probably going to come in January uh, and highly recommend that. Yeah. yeah I have to say. AMC Fitchburg, strangely, is the place where we also go to see international films, indie films. Sometimes those won't come to Flix. Those won't come to Marcus. They'll be at AMC Fitchburg randomly. So I, I'm not sure what they're doing over no, there. No, I, I, I think they just have 18 screens and they got to fill them all or whatever. Um, that Yeah, you really have to pay attention because like, it'll be in and out in a week, mm-hmm. you know, a really good movie like that. Um, I point every once in a while, we'll sneak one in too. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, you really got to be on your toes if you're a movie fan in Madison, I think, because, because it's all so spread out. And I've got the spreadsheets, y'all. <laughs> yeah. You can just hit yeah. me up. <laughs> well, so it's not always just about new movies every year, right? Um, Nate and I are part of a film club where we go back and, you know, watch classics and older films. What's your favorite new discovery from this year that wasn't necessarily released this year, Rob? Oh, well, I got to go back to the film festival again. They showed um, the connect. I think it was called the Connection, uh, which was this film, Shirley Clark film from 1960, uh, about. This sounds really dire, but it's about. <laughs> uh, it's sort of a, about heroin users waiting for their next fix, sort of like a waiting for Godot if Godot was a drug dealer. Um, but it was a really lively, I would say, entertaining movie, and um, Manola Dargis that the critic from the New York times sort of introduced us one of her favorite films. Um, and it was a really fun post-show Q and a talking about it. Um, and that was, I mean, I don't even know where that's available to be honest <laughs> with you. Uh, maybe, maybe criterion channel. Uh, but that was like one where like, I did not expect that to be as good a time as it was. Um, and just, boy, there's something I've seen a black and white movie on the big screen that is just, you know, when those high contrast black and whites, which is just the best. Yeah. Well, that actually brings us to the end of our show today. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rob. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Rob Thomas is the features editor for the Cap Times and author of the Not That Rob Thomas newsletter, which I will be checking out. Thanks to all of you who listen and support WORT. This hour of radio was produced by Jada Sari Ramos and hosted by me, Rochelle Wilson, and my co-pilot, Nate hey, Carlin. That's me. <laughs> Jade ran the soundboard, and WORT News Director Shelly Pittman provided support. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM Madison. Stay tuned, as always, for more great programming ahead on your favorite community radio station.